Thanks for pressing play, swimmers and swimmers. I'm Garrett McCaffrey, and with us today is the associate head coach of the University of Georgia Bulldogs, Stephanie Moreno. This is the Swim Swim Podcast. Stephanie, thank you. And I'm going to apologize up front. My voice is just a little bit hoarse because I'm coming right off of my conference championships. And I know um, you had your conference championships and now a little bit more time to recover. So hopefully your voice is better. But looking back at SECs, how would you assess uh, the Bulldogs? Yeah, well, I think SECs was a really great experience for a lot of our kids. Um, it was the first time since I guess before pandemic hit that it was men and women back together. So it felt kind of like a normal meet in the sense, um, SEC environment is super electric and, uh, you know, just was really proud of how everybody competed and raced and, um, it's three and a half days, you know, Tuesday night, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, and it's a lot of racing, a lot of ups and downs, um, people going best times, people winning conference titles, um, people sneaking into NC2As or getting eighth instead of ninth. And uh, collectively, I thought we did a fantastic job just kind of being behind each other and supportive and encouraging. And um, it's really uh, a fun place to be. And uh, I think I, along with the staff, just really couldn't have been prouder of how the kids raced and competed last week. And I'm not sure how the environment was last year. I'm sure it was still good to be back in racing at SECs last year, but had to be kind of the the return of that atmosphere again and like a little bit more normalcy this season. Not totally normal. We all dealt with, you know, different types of obstacles. But can you describe the environment a little bit more at SECs? Because it is. It's just an amazing meet, probably one of the top – five or six meets in the world. Um, and I, I think if people who haven't been there don't fully understand how electric it is. And the next year, you're going to add Texas too, maybe. Um, so uh, can, can you just describe what makes it so electric? Yeah, so last year, we actually split men and women just to kind of make sure that numbers are okay. So we actually hosted the women and Mizzou hosted the men. Um, and that was the first time probably in a very long time that the conference was split, if ever. Um, and the vibe just wasn't like as exciting. Now, I did not go to men. I kind of stayed back with the women last year. But, yeah, I mean, you have 10, 12 teams, and, you know, you have some of the best in the world, in the in the U.S., kind of competing. And, you know, with the teammates and uh, people, you know, screaming and cheering and parents, and, you know, you move around. Um, you don't just stay like in the same seating position for parents and swimmers. So you can kind of get different perspectives, um, different viewpoints of being on the competition side or you're not on the comp side or your parents and they kind of dress in different outfits. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really cool because you have guys and girls, you know, they see each other every single day and kind of what they do in practice. And to be able to go to the meet and actually see what their teammates have done. Um, I mean, everybody's just yelling and screaming and high-fiving and running up and giving people hugs. And um, I don't know, it's, it's a really cool environment. Um, 
So I think anybody who has not been, they should go. Um, but yeah, it, it's really cool and supportive uh, a group. So uh, SEC does a very nice job kind of hosting these events. And um, next year it's going to be at College Station at Texas A&M. So um, yeah, it should be just as fun and exciting. Yeah. How, how do you manage um, athletes' emotions in that kind of roller coaster and with that environment? Because obviously you want them engaged in the team atmosphere and cheering for their teammates. But ideally, if they're preparing for their race, there's got to be some conservation of the emotions so that they don't wear themselves out. When a freshman is going into his or her first SECs, how do you prepare them? Are there any tricks that you can, you can give them? Or are there any places where you say, hey, look, this is where you need to really kind of step back from all of that excitement? Yeah, usually that preparation is done prior to, like when you get to SECs, you're just driving the bus, you're feeding them, you're their hype man, hype woman, making them feel good. Um, but I mean, it's, it's a daily preparation and process. And depending on who the athletes are, what events they swim, you know, it's, it's kind of like a puzzle, you know, like you have all these different pieces and how can you put the pieces together to kind of make the end product, you know, so our goal is, you know, we want to win an SEC title. So how can we kind of get all those pieces moving together? And um, everybody's different. So that, that's the cool thing about a coach is you can just be um, try to figure out what kind of works with each individual and whatever events they're swimming. And um, we have an amazing staff that I think a lot of kids kind of go feel comfortable going to any coach, whether it's they primarily swim with Neil or they want to come by and get some advice from Jerry or Brian or myself or Jack. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just, we constantly kind of work with them throughout the season and just kind of give them one liners right before they go up. And I believe in you. I love you. I know you can do it and I'm proud of you and it might not go your way or it goes your way. And you know, you can't control anything. I think the biggest thing is I don't want ever, I don't ever want an athlete to, have a, def a time to find who they are. Um, they're more than that. So I think if they just go out there and they give their best, that's all that you can ask for. Um, you know, so at the, at the end of the day, um, we're encouraging, we're supportive. And at SECs, again, we're just driving the bus, we're giving them food, and we're kind of stepping back to watch the magic happen. And you said something early on there where each team is different and a different puzzle. Uh, what did you learn about your team, this particular team at SECs that you can take forward with the NC2A qualifiers here um, and, and kind of maybe adjust taper or adjust, um, I, I don't know if you do adjust technique stuff, but what did you learn at SECs about your team? I think the biggest takeaway I learned is our team is very resilient. Um, I mean, our season was not perfect by any stretch, but I feel we prepared them enough to go out there and give their best. And um, we, you, you have athletes that, you know, really want to, you know, score the most points or, or do their best for their team. And, you know, I think the biggest takeaway is, you know, meets are one in the morning. And we had a lot of kids swim really fast in the evening, um, which was awesome. I'm super proud of them. We could have done it a little bit earlier in the morning to kind of get either finals or concees or in the C final. Um, but hey, they got a second swim. So I think the fine tuning as we gear into NC2As is, um, you know, just kind of making sure that we're race ready in the morning. And, um, you know, we can tweak a couple things. Um, I think relay exchanges are going to be pretty big for us. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, again, each athlete's different. Um, so kind of like looking at the next two and a half weeks for the women and three and a half weeks for men, um, just kind of how we can kind of tweak uh, training, um, rest a little bit more um, and kind of go from there. I would love to dive in a little bit to that. And I think a lot of coaches would, would be really um, interested to hear how you do this double taper and some of the tricks to, a, you know, not all of them are double tapering. Uh, obviously, I'm sure there were some individual um, rest periods based on what they'd already done in the season and their NC2A status and everything like that as far as qualifying times. Um, but you talk specifically about being more race ready in the morning. What kind of things are you doing now to, to do that? Well, we just hosted a last chance meet. So um, this morning, the, the kids getting ready for NC two A's, you know, we just kind of, and typically every Monday morning is just swimming the weekend out of them. Um, it's usually kicking, pulling type deal. So we just kind of kept them moving this morning and then we'll do a little bit kind of threshold work this afternoon. Um, the nice thing about our schedule right now is we only have one more week of school and then we have spring break. So I think allowing them to get a little bit more rest next week, um, sleeping in so we're not starting morning practice super early, um, historically has helped us. And um, I, I always tell the kids, you know, it tapers not this magical fairy dust you like sprinkle on your head and it's like, poof, you're gonna have a magic taper. Um, you, you have a great taper based off the work that you've done, right? So August, September, October, November, um, we rest a little bit for our invite and pre COVID, um, we would rest a little bit, you know, swimming's not a very giving sport. We work really hard to kind of drop a couple tents. You know, we want to kind of have like, uh, or the delayed gratification, right? So we want our kids, especially the freshmen to kind of feel good about their training, coming into a new environment, new weight room. Um, so we rest a little bit for the invite. And then two years ago, or last year, we didn't know if we were having NC2As, so we kind of rested a little bit more for SCCs, unsure of how that was going to uh, play out last year. And then this year, obviously, we felt pretty confident that we were going to have uh, NC2As. So we rested in November. Uh, we have, unfortunately, a lot of kids uh, get sick, so they were unable to compete at the invite in November. So we had to rest a little bit more than usual um, for the athletes that were either didn't fully make NC2As, um, but we do have some athletes that didn't super rest um, for SCCs, and then it will get a full rest um, for NCs. Yeah. You talked also about how any of the athletes can go to any of the coaches, and there obviously are so many accomplished uh, resumes on that pool deck every day. How do you all stay on the same page because, um, you know, you each bring your own unique qualities to the staff um, and different perspectives. How do you stay on the same page so that you have confidence that, you know, what Jerry's telling one of the swimmers who trains with you is what you would tell them or what Jack's saying to, you know, one of the swimmers is, is the same thing you would. How do you guys stay on the same page? First off, I love our staff. I love Jack, who obviously was my coach. Jerry was my coach. Um, I never swam for Brian but I love Brian and Neil is like myself, you know, a former bulldog. So, um, you know, we, we do the same type of work each practice. Um, so like I was talking about Monday afternoon is typically threshold. Well, Ryan does a little bit of threshold on Monday. We do a little bit more because I, I, my, I myself, uh, Jerry 
and Jack work with the middle distance group, and then Neil primarily works with the distance group. So Monday afternoon, we're all doing some sort of threshold work. And um, we have kids that sometimes float between Brian sprint group and middle distance or middle distance and distance group. So, you know, we, we try not to fit a square peg in a round hole. Um, we, we have different athletes that require different needs at different points of the season. And um, the flexibility that they can go and flow from different workouts because we feel, okay, um, Dakota, you know, needs to swim with Brian this afternoon because that's a better fit for her. Or within the, the main group, you know, we may have four different groups going on or athletes doing different things within the framework of the main practice. Um, so we have kids, so they're not hitting the same energy system two workouts in a row. And um, li listen, we're, we're to help, here to help the athletes and here to help the University of Georgia. We're super competitive. We don't have egos. Um, there's someone who swims in my group and they want to go to Jerry and get some film work done. I know that Jerry's going to probably say the same thing that I'm saying, and maybe it'll resonate a little bit more um, with that athlete. Maybe he can use a different verbiage um, or if Jerry's working with an athlete and then he mainly swims with Brian, you know, so it's really, we as coaches, we're here to help all the athletes be as successful as they can be, not just in the sport of swimming, but like outside. So whatever it takes, you know, we are here um, to be able to help every athlete reach their goals and aspirations. Between you, Jack, and Jerry in that mid-D group, how are the athletes um, usually divvied up? Is it by stroke or by um, event? How, how do you, when you say your group, um, uh, versus Jerry's group, how is that divided within the mid-D group? Yeah, it just kind of depends on the, the type of work that we're doing. Um, I guess when we actually break off into stroke groups on Wednesday morning, so Jerry mainly deals with the butterflyers, I work with the backstrokers, Ryan does freestyle, and Neil and Jack work with the breaststrokers. Um, but in terms of like middle distance group, um, we could have a breaststroke threshold group, we could have, you know, four different strokes doing threshold work uh, for easy, faster quality. It could be more stroke specific. So we just have certain lanes. Um, we may say, okay, and we're doing 200 freestyle. Mia, I want you to go uh, 150 free, 50 fly. You know, just, just kind of mixing up. So they're on the same send off. It's just what that athlete needs at that time. Um, and it's a fun environment. You got kids being competitive and, you know, racing and, you know, kicking hard and, uh, you know, some smack talk back and forth. And um, no, it, it's, it's a fun environment. Uh, we do a lot of long course, a lot of short course throughout the college season. Um, you know, I think it's one of the reasons we've been as successful as we have been both long course and short course. Um, you know, and my dad used to tell me about the, the law of the harvest, you know, the work that you do in the fall of the winter, you can reap it in the spring and the summer and the work you do in the spring and the summer, you can reap in the fall and the winter. So, um, no, it's, it, it's really fun. I, I enjoy it. And, you know, as a coaching staff, we, we have a, a great time laughing on the pullback and enjoying each other's um, company and just kind of challenging the kids to kind of be the best they can be in practice. The men and women are, are training together the majority of the time? Yeah. 
How about during taper right now when they're kind of on different schedules? Is that, is that pretty tricky? Cause you know, the men have about two weeks when we're just, when we're talking today, depending on when the listeners are listening, this dates might be off, but you know, we got about a week difference between those tapers. So how do you manage those two different paths, so to speak, um, here in this double taper window? Yeah, so we'll, we'll start shifting and kind of having the men be a little bit more and the women be a little bit less. And, and again, we do have some girls who do a little bit more volume. We do have some guys that do a little bit more volume or a little less. Again, it really just depends on the athlete. Um, and, and a lot of that, we, we just try to have like conversations with them, you know, beginning their freshman year, just kind of, you know, what gives them confidence as we go through taper? Um, you know, how, how can we facilitate, how can we create an environment that you come to practice, um, we're, we're doing something that kind of fills your cup up, like just makes you kind of stand a little bit taller and something that you can kind of hang your hat on. Um, but yeah, it, it's a lot of moving parts and um, super thankful that we have a lot of coaches that can kind of maneuver a lot of different things and make sure that the guys are taken care of, that the girls are taken care of and, you know, making sure that when we get to NCs, everyone's kind of firing on all cylinders. I think you kind of just touched on the secret too. Like you get them, you get them to feel good. You give them some confidence boosters. How do you do that? Are you going with times? Cause sometimes that's a risk, you know, when you run give them a pace or something, you know, you'd, I don't know if you like, I'm a notorious rounder downer. So like if it's a, if it's a double O it's a nine, nine at during taper time for sure. Um, so how, I guess I just want to know how the, the times, cause that is one of the main factors, how the, technique changes like are you making tinkering technique changes right now um i know that's two questions but like those type of things are big factors during taper specifically and you talked about at the meet itself you're just the bus driver trying to be their hype squad um how do you get you know them prepared to make sure they know all the things they need to know yeah i mean i, I think for for taper time you know i may have a fast watch neil has a super fast watch um, Jack sometimes doesn't need a watch because he can just look at somebody and tell him what the time is. And then he'll say, okay, was that a 4-2? And you're like, 4-3? You know, like it's just weird because he's doing it so long. So um, sometimes athletes will tell you if they want to know your time or not know your time. Um, you know, sometimes it's like it's not about the time. Like what was the effort there? Did you feel like you could have hit your turn a little bit better? Okay, here's what I saw. Why don't we kind of tweak this a little bit? Or, hey, go swim 100 easy, come back, let's regroup, let's try to figure it out. Um, you know, it's, it, it's a lot of kind of, again, just kind of making them feel good and letting them know you've already done the work. We're just fine-tuning a couple things. And, yeah, I don't know about taper blues or taper pains. I don't remember any of that stuff, maybe because I didn't swim. Like, it was a long time ago since I swam. But again, I think you're so into like how you feel and like, ooh, like my arm or my elbow, like, no, you're fine. Like you look great, you look strong, you look powerful. Um, hey, let's try this. Hey, all right, let's try to figure this out. Okay, let's film, let's kind of, can you see this? Can we tweak this? Um, again, it's, it's a big puzzle. Everyone has different pieces. So how can you kind of make sure that all, you know, 15 athletes that are going to NC2As, all those puzzles can, pieces can fit together. So when we get to NCs, it's like this beautiful portrait that is there to kind of like excel and, you know, do amazing things. So it's, it's really individualized, but they'll, they'll let you know kind of how they're feeling or what they need or 
don't get my times. I'm fine. You're good. I'm like, all right, you're good. Yeah. I, I'm just guessing, but I imagine that a lot of your confidence as a coach comes from all the work that you've seen them do, not only for the college season, but with the success of the Georgia program internationally and putting people on the U S team and, and all of those pieces and even some foreign athletes on, on teams as well. Um, what is the spring like, I guess? Cause I, I know you're still in, in the zone right now. And I, I, a lot of what you're saying though, is that the work is already done right now. Um, so what does the spring look like in Georgia? If we can you know, get past NC2As in our minds right now, just cause I'm, I'm curious, you know, uh, a program that's not quite the Georgia Bulldogs is where I'm at. And I just, I want to know what spring looks like for a team that has so much success, not only, during the college season, but especially during these summers, how do you motivate them in the college off season? Yeah. So obviously they get a break and, you know, I, I've talked to a couple of kids and, and for us, a big thing is, you know, laying the foundation. So when you build a house, you got to make sure that foundation is set. Um, and, and that's pretty much what we do in the springtime. Um, we still kind of have the same type of work. We still do the same progressions. Um, we add workouts, they're still doing weights, you know, it's just, it's the culture that kind of sets up the expectation. And I believe that when people look at the history of our program, um, and kind of what we've been able to do, uh, since, uh, probably the mid nineties, um, I know the momentum was starting prior to that, but you know, the mid nineties, um, I think kids really buy in and they want to be a part of a program that's like, Hey, you know, I want to compete for a title. I want to represent my country. I want to not just be on an Olympic team. I want to actually medal on the Olympic team. And you have great role models um, who have been here. You know, we don't have, we have Chase and Jay currently right now. But prior to that, you had Mel Margalis, you had Haley Flickinger, you had Nick Fink, you had all these, uh, Olivia Samliga, you had all these amazing pros that continually have gotten faster as they've gotten through the program and you see what they do and you see how they prepare for practice and what they do and work out. And if that doesn't motivate you to want to be better for not only yourself, but your team, like, I don't know what does. Um, so the, the spring is just really kind of laying the foundation. We looked at the summer and okay, what meets are coming up? All right, we got world trials, you know, we got nationals in Irvine, you know, what, what does that look like in kind of setting up for, for next year? Um, but I mean, you, you have great people and great coaches that not, want nothing but the best for you. And um, I know that we can create an environment for them to be successful, and they're the ones that are actually jumping in the water and going over the weight room and, you know, doing the work. And uh, I think they believe the work that we provide them allows them an opportunity to reach their goals and aspirations for whatever that is. Do you get athletes who, because the NC2A says in the off season, you can only do, you know, so many hours of work. Do you get athletes that, you know, only want to do the bare minimum that you have to motivate? Like how I, you don't have to give any specifics obviously, but just, you know, like what, what do you do when you have an athlete that's like, Hey, I'm, I'm past my eight hours. I think I need a break mentally from the sport right now. And maybe they've got a, you know, a, you're worried that they're less than motivated. Um, how, how do you, how do you balance that? Or does the culture kind of take care of it within the team itself? 
Um, yeah, we, we can't require more than eight. So if someone's like, hey, um, I got to get out, I got to test or I got to study or, you know, like I'm done for the day. Totally fine. You know, like um, swimming's hard and it's and it's a lot. And, you know, if, if that's all they can give, that's all they can give. Um, but I know when they're here for the eight hours, like we're going to give them the best eight hours that they want to or need to, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're not perfect, you know, it's not like everyone's like, all right, let's go, you know, but again, we give them the best environment and if they can only do eight hours a week, they can only do eight hours a week. Um, we're fortunate enough that, you know, we graduate or have graduation pretty early. So you're only looking at like maybe a month or five weeks since NC2As are over. Um, but, but you know, sometimes the culture takes care of it, but, you know, from us as a coaching standpoint, you know, if, a, if a someone has to get out or, um, you know, it's, they, they've reached their, their hours for the week, it's totally fine. Are they required to train in the summer? Is there, I mean, you can't require them, but are, how are you, how are you dealing with the rest of the, the in-between time between, you know, end of school year and then the start of next year? We don't require them to stay in Athens. I would love for everybody to stay in Athens, um, especially the freshmen, because I think, you know, just having a whole year with the coaching staff really kind of allows them to kind of take it to the next level their sophomore year. Um, but we have kids that, you know, may go home for 10 days and come back for the summer. We have kids that they have a really good training environment at home. They'll go home for the summer. A lot of kids kind of stay and take classes, whether it's a main master or a through session classes. So again, it's, it's really what's best for the athletes. Um, but if they can stay in Athens, awesome. If they have a great environment when they need to go home, they need to go home. But typically we have a very large group of athletes that do stay in the summer. And then as we kind of get closer to uh, Olympics and trials and stuff, um, we have more and more kids that want to stay. So yeah. every, every summer is different. Yep. Well, I appreciate all of that perspective. It's, it's good to know. And, um, you know, even together, you and I have uh, experienced a little bit of college swimming because for the viewers, um, Steph was my coach in my last year of swimming, I believe is her first year of coaching. So um, we kind of crossed paths at Missouri. Um, and I, I, you know, I think back and you know, I like to ask the question, how would your swimmers have described you at the beginning of your career? And I could kind of take a shot at just saying, like, we, we had so much confidence in your knowledge right off the bat. Like, the, your ability to, you know, kind of give us direction, whether it was technique, whether it was training. I remember some dry land adjustments that were made that you brought into to play and stuff. So if, I, I would say that everybody was confident um, in anything that you were giving us. But I don't know, I, you weren't the loudest coach on, on the staff. You weren't the one that talked the most. Um, how have you changed since I was lucky enough to be a, a swimmer under you as a coach? I thought we might ask me that question. And I was like, I wonder if Garrett's going to kind of give me his perspective. Um, yeah, so my first year was University of Missouri. And um, I am 
starting my, or I'm in my 17th season coaching, which is crazy to think that I've been doing it for almost 20 years. Man, you're good, um, but I'm glad I'm not. He's <laughs> 17 years. Yeah, well, I was talking I, to my I, husband I, last night. I was like, oh my God, 17, wow. I was um, not prepared for that number. Okay, anyway. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I, I know when I started at Missouri, I was, I'm glad that I perceived that I was very confident um, but I know that I was so young in my mind and so close to your age that I really wanted to make sure that you guys knew, okay, I was your coach, not like your friend. So that's why I would be like super quiet and not really be kind of how I am today. Like it, it took me a couple years, probably like two or three to kind of get comfortable um, but I was very black and white and I'm the coach and you're the swimmer and, you know, not um, probably being as good as, as I am right now in terms of building relationships and interacting with kids. And um, I, I loved all of you guys, but I don't think I expressed that to you guys enough. And I was super appreciative of the opportunity. I learned a ton um, but yeah, I mean, I was a little scared and I was like, okay, this is what we did at Georgia. So this is what we're going to do here. And I know I had some crazy dry land stuff, um, that I did with you guys. And I kind of look back and like, well, why did I do that? Um, but no, I mean, it, it was, I had a, I really enjoyed myself and my time at Missouri and, um, appreciate for the opportunity. But yeah, I, I was definitely, okay, I'm the coach, you're the swimmer, th this is it. And, um, I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. I just knew how we were at Georgia and I want to kind of bring a little bit that to Missouri and thankful that Chris Peters was there to kind of be my brother from another mother and, and help me out and, um, yeah, kind of teach me the ways and then you add on recruiting and everything like that. So, um, I mean, it was, it was fun. I, I'm glad that my, my first collegiate coaching job was at Mizzou and coaching you, Garrett. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we never, we never had any kind of impression that like you didn't care. And I think that's really what it comes down to. We knew that you cared and we knew you knew your stuff. And so I can't think of any dry land that I look back on that was like, why did we do, I thought it was great. I felt like it was a great addition um, you talked about Chris, who you ended up crossing paths with again at Ohio State, I believe, kind of on opposite teams, but still there in Columbus at the same time. And, um, you know, I, I guess as you continued on your career and now, I mean, you're head coach of Georgia, it's freaking amazing. But like that path had to be different because there weren't a lot of female coaches. Um, there just, there just weren't, um, how was how was your path different um, because you were a female coach climbing the ranks? Um, I think it was, it was different. You know, like you said, there's not very many female coaches out there. Um, there's more now, but there's, there's more now, which Thank yay, I'm super pumped for and excited about. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just tried to be the best coach that I could be. Um, and I feel like I have a personality that um, people aren't afraid to come up and have a conversation or to learn and grow. And I know sometimes I'm a little hesitant to reach out to coaches, but I shouldn't be. Um, but every coach wants to help. Um, 
and give advice and offer feedback. And just because it works for one school doesn't mean it necessarily is going to work for Georgia um, or for whatever school. But I just try to be the best person that I can be. And I want my athletes to know that I care about them. And I really want what's best for them. And there's amazing coaches out there to learn and grow from, whether you're a man or a woman or a head coach or assistant or associate head coach. And uh, I feel pretty fortunate and blessed to have been in this sport for so long and have been able to be successful as an athlete and as a coach. And, um, you know, I just, I just want to help as many people as I can, you know, whether get into the sport of coaching, stay in coaching or aspire to be uh, an amazing athlete. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of great role models and a lot of people that have helped me um, get to where I am. And I would not be at Georgia if it wasn't for obviously my family and my husband and, um, you know, all the, the coaches that I was fortunate enough to work with and, you know, the guys that get to work with every single day. Yeah. I I'm going to keep digging at this a little bit, if that's okay. I hope like there, there has to be some differences though, in your experience with athletes and my experience with athletes and how, you know, some athletes coming from different backgrounds treat a male coach versus how they would treat a female coach. Um, is there, is there a difference in your mind between coaching men and coaching women? I think so. Um, I, I know that if I, I could probably say the same thing that maybe one of my male counterparts uh, say and it's perceived differently um, or maybe thought of differently, um, but it all comes from the same place. You know, it all comes from my heart. And um, we have great boys and we have great girls. Um, I've coached great boys and I've coached great girls. And, um, I mean, when I was at Ohio state, I, I didn't really work with the men, you know, we swam together in the spring and the summer, but there was probably eight of them that would always come and have conversations with me and want my thoughts and feedbacks. And, um, so I know I'm capable of coaching men. Um, you just got to figure out how to talk to them a little bit differently and relate to them. And, um, you know, it was, it was the same when I was a student athlete here, like I got along with the men and I got along with the women. So it's just, it's just finding, you know, that, that common bond. Um, and, uh, you know, again, like I said, it just, it just comes from my heart. So I just, I want the kids know, and I know that the kids at Georgia know that I want what's best for them and they may not like what I have to say at the time, but they know what's the right thing. And um, they may come back a week later and say, Oh, remember when you said that? I'm like, I have no idea. That meant a lot to me. Um, or, you know, you just, you said something or you inspired me and now I'm going to get into coaching or, um, you know, it just helped me get that job interview. Or I remember what you said when I was applying to the business school. So, um, I mean, it has its challenges, um, but what job doesn't have its challenges, whether you're working with guys or girls. Yeah. You did draw a pretty lucky card in the fact that Jack has been such a huge piece of your, of your life. I mean, I, I just, I hope that's okay to assume, but I mean, it seems like a pretty cool blessing. He seems like such a huge part of your life. Can you just talk about that relationship? I mean, transitioning from athlete to a coach next to him and now being, you know, associate head coach, I'm sure he's still teaching you things. Talk a little bit about your relationship and the evolution of your relationship with Jack. 
I love Jack. Um, he is like a father to me. I've known him since I was 17. And uh, I would not have this opportunity if it was not for him. Um, being able to come and coach or being able to come to the University of Georgia and be a part of something bigger than myself and be able to share an experience with 26 of amazing women. Every year was different. Um, I am forever grateful and thankful for the opportunity. And okay, I didn't know I was getting emotional, but no, I mean, he's like my dad, you know, and um, I've learned a lot from him and continue to learn every single day. And um, I mean, he built this, this university and this program and to be able to have a small part in that on both sides um, is pretty cool. And um, we've won that seven national championships. I've been a part of six, three as an athlete and three as a coach. And um, there's only one year that they won without me, but that's okay. Um, I mean, he, he'll tell everybody that Steph knows more than I do because she actually was in those meetings. She was in there when I, you know, was coaching and I was a young coach and um, I love this university and I love this program and I am forever grateful and thankful to Jack and to this program to give me an opportunity to be the best version of myself. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. So yeah, he's the best. I think you are also in a lot of ways the best and that authentic response was wonderful. Can you, I'm going to ask to go on a little bit more. What, what makes him this way? How can he, how can he inspire people after, you know, with you? So that'd be like over 20 years now you've been, you know, with him and, and he's been kind of part of your life either as a mentor during your path through Missouri and Ohio state and stuff, or as your coach or now as your boss, maybe. Um, but what makes I've, I've met him. I love him. You can't like, you don't want to get out of a conversation with him. You want to keep going forever and he can. Um, and I, I love that. Um, what, if you had to describe what makes him such a, an amazing coach, uh, I, I guess, can you help us understand it a little better? You could be in a room of a hundred people or in a lane of eight people. And he just has this charismatic way to come over and just start conversation with you and really make you feel like you're the most special person in that room or the most special person in that lane because he was able to say, Hey, I want you to do these 25s underwater kick with socks or something like that. Um, I don't know if it's a PA thing or a Philly thing, um, but it's just kind of like, like I was saying earlier, it, it's, it's not about swimming. It, it's about you as a person. And I think when athletes believe in their, like their coaches truly believe in themselves, like in them, like they can do anything, they're going to do anything. Um, it, it's not about swimming. It's like, okay, how, how can I like, okay, how's school? He always asks about school when kids are you know, leaving the pool deck, go get some A's, you know, it's, it's how can he 
like really wrap his arms around those athletes and make them feel super special by just saying, asking them questions and um, having things, you know, written on the workouts for them or, hey, come in my office or walk them, you know, when they're walking out of the pool back. Like I, I can't explain it, but it's some way that he can just like open the doors and just like ask questions. And then just, you're like, oh my gosh, like Jack Barrowley is talking to me. There's like a hundred people in this room and he is talking to me and he's able to find a connection um, with that person or with the athlete that, um, you know, that they'll run through a brick wall for him. Yeah. All right. This is a tricky one. And I think it's my last one, unless you say something that makes me think of another one, but what do you do better than him? And I don't want you to like hold back. I want you to be cocky. I want you to, to toot your own horn here. What do you do that, you know, helps him that fills a gap in, you know, cause all of us coaches, we have gaps. Uh, how do you, how do you fill that with Jack? What are you doing better than him? I feel like I'm have a pretty good pulse on individuals or teams and I'm very intuitive. So, um, if I see or hear something, um, I kind of give him a little heads up first so then he can kind of be the one that like, takes point and can approach that person or the athlete or that situation. Um, maybe, maybe that just, I just, yeah, probably that. I mean, he knows baseball stats. I don't know baseball stats. He knows football stats. I don't know football stats. Um, but yeah, I, I think just being like really intuitive to individuals and, um, how the team is and I can give him some of my thoughts or kind of help him, um, with situations that he can kind of take care of. So, yeah, you've also been in Olympic trials, finals, ready rooms and, you know, NC2A, those type of situations that I just think you're, you're right. The intuitiveness and your ability to relate to them in, in a different way, um, than the, of Jack likes presence and talking to you, right? Like just more relatable, easy, like um, kind of coach, which I think every team needs to compliment. It can't just all be this, you know, legend uh, type of um, approach. Not all of us get that or have that way with like Jack's presence, um, but your ability to relate to them and, and be in positions that a lot of these athletes need advice in like when you've been in those in those rooms you've been in those races you've been in that pain and that sting coming down to the you know the last 50 so and i know that jack i believe when i interviewed him he definitely you know had some background in swimming but i don't believe if i remember correctly he was quite at that same level do you think that your success as an athlete was also a big piece of you know what's helped you be so relatable and and communicable as coach i think part of it you know i I was talented, but I also worked really hard. Um, you know, we, at Georgia, we, we, we look at kind of like that middle-class mentality. You know, I love talent, um, but, but I like kids that aren't afraid to work, that aren't afraid to be uncomfortable, um, aren't afraid to stretch and grow. And um, I always knew that I had really high goals and aspirations, and I knew that I just couldn't show up at practice. I actually need to challenge myself. I need to race the boys and try to beat the boys. And, um, I play different sports and, 
you know, I, I think that kind of helped me as well. But yeah, I mean, um, I don't think it hurts. Um, and, and I think when you have an environment where you have, you know, 26 like-minded men or women together, it just kind of helps you achieve your goals. Um, but it pretty much just comes down to, to you as a person. So for me, I, I'm super, I was super competitive and still I'm super competitive. And, um, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to be the best and, and do the best and it, with that comes hard work. Yeah. Well, you've done it in the water, you've done it on the deck and, uh, yeah, I really appreciate being able to kind of, you know, just know you and watch how, watch how it's all kind of, you know, come together so well. And obviously with all that hard work and determination, uh, that's why you're at where you're at, but we appreciate your time and, and your insight and, uh, Steph, best of luck going forward into NC2A for you and Georgia. Thank you so much, Garrett. Proud of what you're doing. Keep it up. You're great. And uh, hopefully I can see you in person soon. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcasts on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.